That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the lake. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. How do you tell a good story? I get a lot of practice at this because every night my son, before he goes to sleep, as well as the books from his bookshelf that he wants me to read, he also wants me to tell what he calls a talking story. He wants to hear a story he's never heard before. And this coming up with a new story every single night is quite a toll on my creative abilities. Especially since every single story has to exclusively include just the characters from the film Frozen 2. About 2,000 years ago, crowds gathered around Jesus and they too wanted to hear something they'd never heard before. And Jesus responded by telling parables. In fact, a third of the recorded teaching of Jesus in the Gospels is parables. Obviously, Jesus knew the impact of a good story. But how do you, how do you tell a good one? Where would you start? Well, let's try, shall we? Um, once upon a time, there was um, a man. Okay, that's, that's not a good way to start because that's, that's too vague. There's no detail there. How about this then? Once upon a time, there was a politician. Now that's better because we've got some detail there. We've got something that's familiar to people, but it's not very dynamic. Let's make him do something. Once upon a time, there was a politician who made a speech. Okay, we're getting somewhere. We've got a character. We've got a setting. But a really good story is going to grab attention. So maybe let's take this idea of giving a speech and twist it a bit. Okay, how about this then? Once upon a time, there was a politician who was honest. Now, that's a more interesting start to a story. 
it taps into something that is below the surface. Yes, we've got something that's familiar. We've got some detail there. But we also have an idea that provokes a little bit. You see, for some of you, I say that and you're thinking, ha, yeah, politicians, they're not honest. I, I, I want to hear you roast these politicians. And for others of you, you might, you might be thinking, well, actually, a lot of politicians are honest and they're trying to do a good job. So that's not very, very respectful to talk of them in that way and poke, poke fun at them. But that's the point. A good story is going to provoke a reaction. And Jesus knew this, and Jesus told these parables using things that were familiar to people, but also brought in a way that brings challenge and taps into the values of society, the unwritten rules of society, perhaps. And these stories were so effective, they're still around today, even if outside a church, everyone has heard of the Good Samaritan, for example. They're not just good stories. They touch on real-life issues. Jesus uses the parables to provoke a response. And what Jesus is doing is he's taking us from the everyday to the eternal. Jesus used parables to talk about the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you were with us back way before lockdown, we were in a series called Paradox, and we were looking at the Gospel of Matthew and the way in which Jesus presented this idea of the kingdom of heaven, often using seemingly conflicting ideas and revealing through them a deeper truth. And the point that we got up to in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, is where we're picking up right now and continuing on because Jesus continues that idea of teaching about the kingdom of heaven, and he uses these parables. So I hope you can join us as we go through. And each week we'll be looking at what we can learn more about this kingdom of heaven. But before we dive into the parables for today, you might be thinking, well, okay, but how is this relevant to the challenges that we are facing? We've just come out of a series talking about Noah, where there's a worldwide crisis. The parallels are maybe more obvious there. But what this kingdom of heaven, it seems very uh, mystical and not tangible, how is this helping us with what we face day by day? Well, that's a good question. But to answer that question, I want to direct our attention to the context that Jesus was speaking into. You see, as these crowds gathered around Jesus, there were a people who had an appetite for change. They were a people who were oppressed. The Jews were occupied by the Roman Empire. And there were also a people who were expecting and hoping of a brighter future. And for them, this idea of the kingdom of heaven was what their hopes were wrapped up in. So let me ask you, do you want change? Do you want a reason to hope in these dark times? Do you want to make sense of a messed up world? Do you want reasons to believe in a brighter future? The thing was, the people in Jesus' day were right. What they needed to answer those types of questions was the kingdom of heaven. What we'll see is they didn't quite get it. But actually, the kingdom of heaven for them and for us is exactly what we need. And Jesus has come to bring that to us. And so I hope you can stay with us for this series through these summer months as we unpack exactly why that is. Why do we need this kingdom of heaven? What does it speak to us today? 
Let's focus in on these first couple of parables. Firstly, I want to focus on what Jesus is saying and then what it means for us. In both parables, you have the sower who sows seeds. Now, Jesus is pointing to himself there. Jesus is the sower. The seed is the message of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, the good news of what Jesus has done and who he is. Jesus saying is that he is the king who has come into the world to establish his kingdom. But the way he's done it is not with a force and law. Actually, surprisingly, the way that Jesus establishes his kingdom is through sacrifice. He's the king that comes into the world and dies for his subjects in order that people like you and me can be forgiven by God, reconciled to God, brought back to God. And also he's the king that vindicates himself by rising from the dead to show his authority even over sin and death. And so by embracing this gospel, that's how we enter in to the kingdom of heaven. Now, also in both parables, we have a sense of soil. The seed hits the ground and it causes an effect. And what Jesus is talking about there is individual lives, individual hearts. In the first parable, the parable of the sower, Jesus is contrasting different ways his message will be received. Some people have room for Jesus. Other people have different priorities and there's no room for Jesus to take root. In the second parable, similar idea, we've got wheat growing up, but we also in the same field have weeds as well. And this is really where we get into this idea of the paradox, these conflicting ideas. Jesus' kingdom is one that seems to emerge in and through an existing broken kingdom. In both parables, we have the seed going in a hostile environment. Jesus enters the world and surprisingly not everything is put right straight away. That doesn't mean it won't be put right in the end. But he's establishing his kingdom through the brokenness that already exists. And an individual Christian receives that in the same way. When If you receive Christ, not everything in your life gets sorted straight away. But something begins to grow. Jesus has entered into your heart and begins to grow and establish his kingdom within you. So Jesus' kingdom is not one that is obvious. And that's why he ends by saying, you know, if you have ears, then hear. You need to listen. You need to pay attention. And also in both parables, what we have is a sense of outcome. In the first one, Jesus is talking about fruitfulness. And in the second one, we have a sense of, of judgment. The, the wheat and the weeds grow up together. And what's going to happen at the end? And what he's expressing there is, God judges, that's true, but he judges success not on whether we've established our own kingdom, but whether we've received this Jesus, we've received his gospel, the good news, into our hearts. And the question of these parables is, will you receive Jesus? So we've seen there that the way that we enter the kingdom of heaven is by receiving Christ. But also what I want to say this morning is that with this kingdom, it's an, it's an inside-out kingdom. Inner transformation. 
occurs before external transformation. You see, what do I mean by that? The people of Jesus' day, they were pointing to many different social problems that they were facing. What were they? Oppression, injustice, poverty, inequality. Funnily enough, they're the same things that we are facing today as well. And they would say, right, these are the things that need sorted out. But then Jesus comes into the world and announces this kingdom of heaven and people are flocking to him to see what he has to say. But the way in which Jesus addresses the problems is unexpected. Jesus starts talking about love your enemies, turn the other cheek, pray for those who persecute you. What? The Romans, the people who were oppressing us, we're supposed to love them? You see, what Jesus is showing us is that his kingdom is an inside-out kingdom. It starts with what goes on inside the heart before it goes and works its way to the external problems in the world. He doesn't start outside in. Jesus doesn't come into the world and and have a program of social restructuring. He doesn't come with a plan of economic stimulus. He doesn't come in by force or change laws. Instead, Jesus comes in and he he tells stories. And he says, no, you have to receive me in your heart. That's what this is about. And you might think, well, this is is classic classic Bible. A spiritual truth about all about internal things. That's no real practical use. Okay, well, hold on there. Because what actually history shows us is that actually this method is very effective. You see, these crowds that gathered to Jesus, they didn't actually get what he was on about. They understood the stories on a surface level. But actually, these crowds, at first they were fascinated with Jesus. And then they started to drift away. Then they were apathetic with Jesus. And by the end of Jesus' life, they were hostile to Jesus. I guess they had been disappointed with what he had to say. So much so that they were the ones who were shouting, crucify him at the end of Jesus' life. But the people who were closest to Jesus, his disciples, they were the ones that Jesus made extra sure they got these secrets of the kingdom. He made sure that they received him in their hearts. He says to Peter, do you love me? He's ensuring that the deposit that he leaves with him is going to have an effect. It's going to cause fruitfulness. And that's what we see. Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus rises again. Jesus ascends back into heaven. What happens next? The explosion of the church, empowered by the Spirit in the first century. The Christian faith explodes These disciples of Jesus, these simple people, they turned the world upside down. History is different because of what Jesus deposited in this small band of followers. What the crowds wanted to achieve by force, the overthrow of the Romans, the vindication of them as a people, actually in a few generations, Jesus achieves through redeeming love. That's what happens in history. In just a few generations, this Roman Empire becomes Christian. You see what happens? The kingdom is at work in hearts and it works from the inside out and it redeems and it restores and it changes from the inside out. That is the way 
Jesus brings about his kingdom. What starts as a seed in a heart can change the course of global history. That's the kingdom of heaven. So what does that mean for us then? Jesus is transforming the world. It's not what it will be, but he is at work and he's changing the world one heart at a time. That's good news for us. This same Jesus, this same Jesus who comes into the disciples' hearts and redeems them. This same Jesus who redeems even something like an empire by the power of his spirit. If he can redeem the disciples, if he can redeem empires, he can redeem you. The kingdom of heaven is within you. He who has ears, let him hear. Are you listening? Are you attuned to what Jesus wants to do in you? If you've received Christ, this power is in you right now. What is he restoring in your life? What is he redeeming in your life? What is he transforming in your life? That is the work of the kingdom. If you've received Christ, you have the kingdom. It is growing. That is happening. You see, even as Christians, sometimes we don't, we're not aware of this. Because like in the second parable, we are so aware of the weeds growing up beside us. Maybe we're focused on the brokenness of the world. Or maybe we're focused on the brokenness in us. Our personal shortcomings, our sin, our disappointment. But when we're focused on that, we might lose sight of what Jesus is and can and will do in us. Listen, if you have received Christ, you have received this kingdom of heaven already. You have received the life of God in you. A life with purpose and meaning that casts a whole new way of looking at life because you have the power of God by the Spirit in you. A life of supernatural potential, a life of miracles, a life of answered prayer, a life of healing, a life of adventure. That is what Jesus has promised. That is what Jesus has come into your heart to bring about. Coming to Jesus is not an intellectual exercise. It's it's bringing in, Jesus brings in by the Spirit, the kingdom of heaven that grows and causes fruitfulness. Don't you want that type of life? You have that type of life, but are you attuned to what the Spirit is doing in you? Because Jesus says, this fruitfulness is something that I am promising you. He says, if you receive me in your heart, you will have fruitfulness, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Jesus hasn't come into the world and come into your heart just for the potential of fruitfulness. No, he's come in with the promise of fruitfulness. It's not all about you getting everything right and having the most uh, perfect skills and abilities and things to offer. It's about having the life of God within you. It will cause fruitfulness. He is doing it in you and through you. And uh, he will cause you to be an agent of change in the world by first what he is doing in your life and in your heart. It is fruitfulness. It's not fruitfulness as the world uh, regards it. The world values the fruitfulness of wealth, of success, of popularity. Jesus doesn't promise those things. But Jesus said, if you receive me, you will have the fruit that my kingdom brings. What's that? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are not things that we aspire to. Oh, as a good Christian, I really need to have more patience in my life. I'm going to try really hard. No, no, that's the wrong way around. 
It's as we receive Christ, as we receive Christ day by day, as we receive him through his word, as we press in in the place of prayer, as we follow him in obedience and we receive more and more of Christ and his kingdom and we're attuned to what he's doing in our lives. These things, these qualities spring up. They are fruit of that kind of orientation of our hearts. Has Christ come into your life? Is there room for him to take root? These things will grow. They don't happen overnight, but as we daily receive Christ more and more, we will see this fruitfulness come up and be agents of change in the world as he changes our hearts and as he changes our lives. That's what we have if we have received Christ. For some watching this, maybe you've not yet received Christ. Maybe like in the first parable, in your heart there's other priorities perhaps. Maybe there's pain and difficulty. There may be this circumstance that make it difficult for you to trust in God and receive Christ. Maybe there's distractions. Jesus is telling us this parable today because he wants us to make this good decision. He wants us to make room in our hearts for him. What is this parable saying to us? It's saying the kingdom of heaven is near. My only hope through preaching this this morning is that as I'm saying these things and talking about the kingdom of heaven, that the spirit is at work in your heart and is knocking on the door of your heart saying, you need this. You need this, Jesus. You need this kingdom that causes fruitfulness. You can spend your whole life trying to build your own kingdom, but it's not an eternal kingdom. It'll just be burned up. It'll count for nothing. Jesus offers... Receive him and receive a fruitfulness that will last forever. But this kingdom comes personally. It comes individually. You're not going to see the kingdom of heaven talked about on the TV debate shows. It's not written in the sky. The government's not going to have a daily briefing about it. It's not big like that. It's personal. It's individual. He comes to you by the witness of his spirit and say, you need this kingdom of heaven. Come and receive him today. That's the question. Will you receive Christ today? Will the seed of the gospel, Christ himself, find root in your heart? Is there room for him? Can he become a priority? He must be a priority if he is to come into your heart. And if so, if you do receive him, if you have received him, then this kingdom will bring about fruitfulness in your life that you can never imagine. Don't you want that? Don't you want that? You can have that today by embracing Jesus and saying yes to him and saying, come into my heart today. I want to encourage us to do that. Let's embrace Jesus today, perhaps for the first time, perhaps for the hundredth time. Allow him to find good soil in your heart today and unleash this potential, this promise of the kingdom of heaven in you. There's going to be an opportunity in a few moments to respond personally to Jesus in this way, but I want us to all respond together by worshiping this Jesus. And so we're going to sing again now. Megan is going to lead us.